The message I have on my heart today comes with a really heavy burden. That's how I feel. I just feel very burdened. And it might be a different kind of message. I don't know. I thought about earlier in the week trying to prepare an occasional sermon. And I'm not against those. There are times that it's good to preach a sermon for the occasion. But I I just don't have a message on my heart about baptism. I have a message on my heart about preaching. And even just saying that feels overwhelming and heavy. This message today, what the Lord has given me, I think, is to preachers and to everyone who might be wrestling with whether they're called to preach, but it's also to everyone who ever listens to a preacher. So really, if the Lord will help me, and I trust Him to, I trust Him to help me. I don't trust myself that much, but I trust Him. As He helps me, this message will be with everybody, for everybody. Because everybody here is either a preacher or you listen to a preacher. And maybe, I don't know your background, some of you, I mean, this could be... Somebody here or maybe listening to the recording the first time you've heard a God called preacher. There's a difference. And I'll talk about that some in the message. Ezekiel is where we're going to be reading from. We'll spend quite a bit of time there if you want to go ahead and start turning. Uh, Ezekiel, it's um, after Isaiah and Jeremiah in the Old Testament and before Joel and, and Daniel. So I want you to go ahead and turn there. As you're turning to Ezekiel, I want to remind us, Proverbs 29, 18, a very, very popular verse when it comes to planning for the future and building a church. And and, yeah, I've even seen it in corporate meetings and it says where there's no vision, the people perish. And then the person who says it, usually the thrust is, let's get a vision and or here's the vision, now hold, glatch onto it. You might have heard me preach this, but I want... You know, this verse actually means, you look at the Hebrew, a better translation would be where there's no direct revelation from the Lord, the people cast off restraint, but he who keeps the law happy is he. God doesn't need us to come up with some vision or to try to get a vision. What we need is direct revelation from the Lord. And at the heart of preaching from any God-called man should be revelation from God. That should be the heart of preaching. Now, that has nothing to do with personality. Different people have different personalities, different preachers, different speakers. They have, some of them are more naturally animated. Some are more naturally calm. Some are naturally louder. I don't have a big booming voice. And I think maybe sometimes the Lord gave me a regular voice because He didn't want me to intimidate people with my voice. There's enough intensity in me without a voice like that. That's because of what God's put in my heart. So, let's take some time recognizing what I just read, where there's no direct revelation from the Lord, the people cast off restraint, but he who keeps the law happy is he. Let's, let's take some time and look at how God called and sent Ezekiel, and it will apply to us today in some ways, and will help us remember what God put this man through for the sake of his people and the gospel. I won't read the first chapter, but in the first chapter, I want you to read it sometime, maybe this afternoon. Ezekiel identifies exactly when and where the time is. He's in uh, the, the valley near the Kibar Canal, and he identifies uh, the time of year and whose reign. That's, that's important historically, so we can verify that this is true. But that's not the thrust of what's on my heart, so I'm not going to spend time on it. The rest of chapter 1, if you've never read this before, read it. I mean, you're trying to visualize what he's talking about, and I don't know if it's like UFOs or... It's wild. And again, I don't want to spend too much time on that because my heart 
today the Lord has burdened me about preaching. But he concludes Ezekiel, the, the end of the first chapter. He identifies where he is. He identifies or explains that the, the glory of God was revealed to him. And then he tries to explain it in a way that's... I don't even know how... He doesn't know how to describe it. And let me just pause and say this, brothers and sisters. When we really get a glimpse of God's glory, it leaves us speechless. And then all we can do is struggle to try to find some words that are kind of like what we experienced. I've been trying all these years I've been preaching... Much of it has been to tell people how to be saved. And I still don't know exactly how to explain it. Because it's a mystery. This is supernatural and it's of God. And preaching is the same way. I don't know how to tell you how to preach. Except make sure you heard from God before you try to. So, the end of this chapter, after he explains all of these very amazing things, he says, Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. That's a whole lot different than a lot of these phony religious people say, God told me. This man actually experienced God, and listen to how he qualifies it. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. He didn't even know how to describe it. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and I heard the voice of one speaking. So, I'm just going to read through the next uh, second and third chapter. It's going to take a few minutes, so please try to pay attention and, and then we'll go and focus on the verses that the Lord burdened me with. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord, and when I saw it, I fell on my face and I heard the voice of one speaking. And he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak with you. And as he spoke to me, the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. And I heard him speaking to me, and he said to me, Son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to nations of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants also are impudent and stubborn. I send you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. And whether they hear or refuse to hear... For they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, be not afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns are with you, and you sit on scorpions. Be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. And you shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house." But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Be not rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. And when I looked, behold, a hand was outstretched to me. And behold, a scroll of a book was in it. And he spread it before me, and it had writing on the front and on the back. And there were written on it words of lamentation and mourning and woe. And he said to me, son of man... Eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll and go and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me this scroll to eat. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly with this scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. And he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. For you are not sent to a people of foreign speech and a hard language, but to the house of Israel. Not to many peoples of foreign speech and a hard language whose words you cannot understand. Surely if I sent you to them, they would listen to you. But the house of Israel will not be listened will not be willing to listen to you. For they are not willing to listen to me, because all the house of Israel... Have a hard forehead and a stubborn heart. Behold, I have made your face as hard as their faces, and your forehead as hard as their foreheads. Like emery, harder than flint, I've made your forehead. Fear them not, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, all my words that I shall speak to you, receive in your heart, hear with your ears, and go to the exiles, to your people, and speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, whether they hear or refuse to hear, 
Then the Spirit lifted me up, and I heard behind me the voice of a great earthquake. Blessed be the glory of the Lord from its place. It was the sound of the wings of the living creatures as they touched one another, and the sound of the wheels beside them, and the sound of a great earthquake. The Spirit lifted me up and took me away, and I went in bitterness in the heat of my spirit, the hand of the Lord being strong upon me. And I came to the exiles at Tel Abib who were dwelling by the Kibar Canal, and I sat where they were dwelling, and I sat there overwhelmed among them for seven days. At the end of the seven days, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, I've made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity, but his blood will I require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die for his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. Again, if a righteous person turns from his righteousness and commits injustice, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die, because you have not warned him. He shall die for his sin, and his righteous deeds that he has done shall not be remembered, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the righteous person not to sin, and he does not sin... He shall surely live because he took warning, and you will have delivered your soul. And the hand of the Lord was upon me there, and he said to me, Arise, go out into the valley, and there I will speak with you. So I arose and went out into the valley, and behold, the glory of the Lord stood there, like the glory that I had seen by the Kibar Canal before, and I fell on my face. But... The Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. And he spoke with me and said to me, Go shut yourself within your house. I'm going to pause my reading. There, and just read this last verse that sums it up. He who will hear, let him hear. And he will refuse to hear, let him refuse. For they are a rebellious house. That was a lengthy reading this morning. I felt the need to read it because our culture, including our churches, have forgotten the weightiness of preaching. I remember when God was dealing with my heart when he had called me to preach and I was wrestling with it and trying to be sure. It was an honest search at that point. I wasn't yet ready to surrender because it felt too big. I felt inadequate. I felt completely incapable. And I remember talking to my grandfather. I was in college at the time and we were emailing back and forth and I told him, I think I'm called to preach. And he emailed me back something I never expected. Now I get it. He said, don't tell anybody. He said, this burden is one that will consume your life. You'll have to put it before your mama, your family, your wife, and everybody you know. So you need to be sure. And so for the next year, I I wrestled with it. And I, uh, I think I, I definitely knew deep in sight, but I wasn't ready to know. I just didn't feel like I could do it. And part of what I was wrestling with, and by the way, the first message I ever preached was from Ezekiel, that you're a watchman. I don't know, somebody here might need to hear this. There may be, I know we, I'm not the only preacher here. There might be somebody the Lord has recently called or is working on. But I want you to know... This is not um, just a vocation choice. It's not just a job you decide to take, like most modern day preachers believe. It's not just something you're gifted at and so therefore you should preach. God doesn't just call people who are good speakers. He, He doesn't, in fact, need any of your abilities. Although, when He calls you, He expects you to use your abilities. It's heavy. The reason it's heavy is we're warning men about eternity and women and children. It's not a light thing. 
I'm not primarily here to make you feel better or to feel any certain way. I'm not primarily here to say what I want to say. I'm here to bring what God tells me. And I want to tell you that any preachers, whether you've been preaching a long time, you're just starting or you're wondering if you should be preaching, you better make sure because it will change your life in ways you can't imagine. It's not all bad, don't get me wrong. But it's heavy. That's what we're going to see in some of this passage today. I'm just going to go and and look at some of these verses. The first one was the verse I already read at the end of the first chapter. I'm going to try not to be too emotional so I can teach what's on my heart and preach what's on my heart. I said this already. Ezekiel 1.28, Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. Ezekiel is in such a place, he recognizes, he understands, human language can never fully or adequately describe the heavenly realm or the glory of God. And history is full of well-meaning people who have tried to simplify the gospel to a level that God never intended it to be simplified. It's supposed to be a mystery. We can tell people how to be saved, but the experience is between them and God, and we don't know if it happened or not. It is so dangerous. I'll talk more about this in the message, but we're not called to oversimplify something supernatural. We're called men, preachers, and church that listens to preachers. You need to know this. We're called to preach. Period. And preaching, by the way, is proclaiming. It's telling what God put on your heart. This is why writers and preachers have used metaphor and simile and parables to try to convey the word of truth and the revelation that they got from God that's far beyond the depths of what they've experienced in their spirits. The English language can't capture it. Even the Hebrew or Greek or Aramaic language can't capture it. That's why Jesus was always using parables and metaphors. That's why many of the scripture writers say it's kind of like. That's basically what he's saying. I saw the glory of God and it was like this, but I really don't know how to describe it. The next thing we see in that verse, he sees the glory of God, it's amazing. Then I fell on my face. There are so many, and this I feel fiery about. There are so many false religious teachers who pretend to have been in the presence of God. And you know how they haven't been when they come with pomp and arrogance and an attitude that God told me this, and you better, uh uh-uh. You've been in the presence of God, you're going to be on your face. There have been some times in my life, maybe not as as, as often as it should be, but there have been some times that I literally could not remain upright. The power of God was too heavy. All I could do was get on my belly. It was like that the day He saved me. And some of you weren't in that physical posture, but your heart was. So this is not only an example of how when God deals with one of His saved people and wants them to do something, but it's also a reminder of how it was when God saved you. Your heart was on its face. There was no, you're not on the level with God anymore. You thought you could just do what you wanted. Uh Uh-uh, all that's gone. And then he says, I heard the voice of one speaking. God reveals enough of himself to you so that you can get in proper orientation to actually hear him. In other words, God shows you some of his glory. He allows you to go through life experiences. He allows you sometimes to go through hard, difficult things so that you can get in a spiritual posture that you can actually hear his voice. We just float around and everything's just kind of level and gray and vanilla and easy and and no high. You won't even hear the voice of God. You have to get your heart, and and it's not something you just generate. When you're really in God's presence, you won't have to worry about it. You'll be there. He does that not to leave you on your knees, not to leave you in the dirt like the Apostle Paul. He does that so that he can pick you up and speak with you. 
It's a beautiful thing. We shouldn't take it for granted. He humbles you so that you might hear His voice, so you might hear clearly what He wants to say to you. I know exactly what I should preach today. I might not do that good of a job of it, but the Lord knows my own limitations. It doesn't change that I heard from Him about this message. Amen. Second chapter, first and second verse. He says, this is beautiful, Son of man, stand on your feet and I'll speak with you. You ever had God tell you with His Spirit, get up? That's enough, get up. I've heard people tell about old timers being in old revival services and they're praying, the Lord's dealing with them and then, and then they're, they're saved and they don't really understand what all happened. And some little old lady, spiritual woman of God comes by and pats them on the back and says, Honey, if you're okay, you can get up. <laughs> well, Ezekiel was where he should be. God told him it was okay to get up. And this is the most beautiful part. Then the Spirit of God enters into him and sets him on his feet. See, you don't have to decide you need to get up and make yourself have enough strength to. God will help you. He says, stand on your feet and I'll speak with you. Next one, as he spoke with me, the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet and I heard him speaking to me. This also is much like the salvation encounter I've heard so many people testify about. There's a point where you're not okay, you're on your face, you're broken, and then all of a sudden you don't need to be down there anymore. And you know what? It doesn't do any good to stay down there. Some of y'all brothers and sisters have been saved by the grace of God and you're staying down in the dirt and you shouldn't be. I'm talking metaphorically now because it's the only way I know how. Your life's not any better if you suffer more than you're supposed to. It doesn't make you more righteous. If you go through suffering for the sake of God, happier ye. But what I'm saying is, you spend some time in the dust. The Lord says you can get up. Now get up. Let Him let you up. It's okay to be healed. It's okay to get better. It's okay to stop struggling with the thing that's been struggling so hard and so long. Whatever it is. And this is how God not just wants to save us, but He wants to continue to interact with us as His faithful children. He wants to bring us into His presence, completely humble us, and then stand us on our feet so that we might go. That's the point. He wants to break us down so then He can lift us up by His power and clearly commune with us so that we might do what he reveals. Third and fourth verse. Then God explains who he's sending Ezekiel to and what they're like. I've thought often, I'm thankful that my call, that God called me to the ministry, wasn't exactly like Ezekiel or Jeremiah. My audience has been a little bit friendlier than theirs. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for that. But he tells the, uh, him, he prepares him. And God, He always prepares us for what He's sending us into. He lets, he lets us know if we'll listen. He says, I'm sending you to a nation of rebels, transgressors, impudent, and stubborn to this very day. He wants him to know who he's dealing with. Listen, Ezekiel, you're not going to see a mass revival. There's not going to be any Billy Graham crusades. Nobody's going to respond like that. These people are rebellious, and they're going to reject you. And it doesn't change what you're supposed to do. The Lord says, you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God. In other words, his job is to go to them and speak what God has revealed to him. His job is to speak what God has burdened him about. His job is to try to get across what the Lord put on his heart. And that should be at the heart of every preacher. Part of my burden today is, in churches... There's a whole lot of stuff going on that's not biblical preaching. There's trying to generate response from the crowd. As you read through this today in the message and you read it again later, 
You won't find one example of God telling Ezekiel to manipulate the crowd. Not one. The focus is not on the crowd at all. The focus is on the Word of God. There's a, there's a danger among our people. I don't know if y'all have gone to other churches lately. I, I go often. There's a whole lot of crowd work going on. It's well-intentioned, but it's wrong. The job of the preacher is to proclaim the burden God has given him, and the job of the Holy Spirit is to do his work. I can't do the work of the Holy Spirit, and neither can you. You better watch out if you try. Now, some of you who don't know me, you might say, Goodness, you are an angry preacher. I'm not angry. I'm burdened. And I'm upset about some of the false doctrine that's going around even in the names of churches that have the same name as ours. I'm not criticizing. I'm not casting unfair judgment. I'm telling you this doesn't line up with Scripture. My job is not to get you to respond. It's not my job to get you to the altar if you're lost. It's my job to preach. The Holy Spirit's powerful enough to do that on His own. Now, may I sometimes give an invitation? Sure. Do we sometimes sing a song and give people a chance to pray? Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But when all the focus is on trying to convince somebody to do something, rather than focusing on the Lord and what He burdened, it's dangerous. So watch out. You shall say to them, thus says the Lord God. It's pretty simple. Get on your knees until you're so low that only my spirit can lift you up. And then once I've lifted you up, listen to what I say and then go tell them what I told you to tell them. That's it. That's the heart of preaching. I've listened to a lot of preachers. I get, I get concerned. If I listen to... I'm not talking about one or two messages. Somebody can have an off day. Somebody can be struggling. Somebody, sometimes the Lord, I think, allows a preacher, me, whoever to get up and make a mess just to prove that that preacher is not always it. It's the Lord. So I'm not saying judge a preacher on one or two sermons, but if I hear a handful, I mean sermon after sermon after sermon, and there's no sense of the power of God, and there's no burning within my spirit, and there's, no, there's nothing in me that walks away saying, that man has been with God. I'm going to be concerned. And I want you to know, brothers and sisters, however long I'm here, it may be decades, I don't know how long it'll be, it might be a short period of time. Whenever my time is finished and this congregation is still here, you demand a man that has been with God. Don't settle for a good Bible teacher. Don't settle for somebody who spent all their time in a study with books. You have to have somebody who's been with God. It's dangerous not to. The fifth verse. Whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they were a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. When you're sitting under the preaching of a God-called preacher, you should be able to tell that there's a difference. You should be able to say, as I already mentioned, that man's been with God. He brought me something that he couldn't have come up with on his own. Now, I can string together a clever speech. I took public speaking courses. I, I don't think I'm a dumb person. I'm smart enough. It's not, I mean, I can do that. But it's not going to change your heart. Whereas if the Holy Spirit deals with me and burdens me with something that you need to hear, whether it's presented in a polished manner or not, God can use that. That's what you should strive for if you're going to preach. Get a revelation from God. I'm not talking about something new that's not in the Bible. It better line up with Scripture or it's not from Him. Let's just get that out of the way too. Don't say God told you something that doesn't line up with Scripture. But spend time with Him and then pour that out before the people. That's what we need. That's preaching. Whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. Ezekiel's concern should be to faithfully proclaim what God gave him, not to make the people respond in a certain way.
And I want you also, along with this, remember, the preacher, I'm not responsible for how you choose to respond. And the Lord prepared Ezekiel, don't be afraid of their faces, because he was preaching to people with hateful faces. Sometimes I preach to some bored, sleepy-looking people. It's not as aggressive. I'm, my life doesn't feel in jeopardy, but sometimes the Lord has to let me know, don't worry about how they look. It's not about your faces. It's not my job to make you respond. It's not my job to get you excited. It's my job to preach. And that's the job of all preachers. We're responsible not for generating a certain atmosphere or momentum. And I could do that. I'm not going to do it here because it wouldn't be appropriate. But Jonathan will tell you, I could joke around and sound just like <laughs> one of those TV preachers with an organ and a choir in the background getting what I mean, it's not real. It's fun to joke around that way. I could put on a show, but it's not God. And we should know the difference, brothers and sisters. That's something else. Some people might not like me saying this, but it's on my heart. I see too much emotional culturalism in our sister churches that people just assume is spiritual. Because it fits a certain cultural model. It's not any more spiritual if I get up and holler if I'm not saying what God put on my heart. Or if I run, I run around, I can act crazy. That doesn't mean the Lord's in it. Sixth verse. I like some of these phrases. He says, and you, son of man. There's all these people, these thousands of people, this rebellious house, all these people that are the way they are. And Ezekiel, you can't do anything about it. You know what you can do something about? You. And you, son of man. I'm going to be honest with you, brothers and sisters. I struggle with that. I try to do something about y'all. I, I try. I worry about helping people in ways that I'm not able to help them. I worry about why isn't this person doing that or doing this or why this or th All I can do is... I don't even do myself that well. But that's the point. What I have power over is me with God's help. Now, what I have to do today is tell you what He put on my heart. You... Son of man. He says, don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of their words. I tell you what, in the South especially, sometimes people's words are a lot worse than their actions. People can say some nasty, heartbreaking things that hurt you. And the only way that Ezekiel knew how to describe it, well, this is what the Lord told him, he said, don't be afraid of them, don't be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns are with you and you sit on scorpions. Does that sound very pleasant? He's telling him, in other words, Ezekiel, no matter how their words may sting and burn, no matter what lies they might tell, no matter how they might misunderstand you, no matter how their words might rob you of your ability to sit in peace, you preach. And anybody here who's supposed to be a preacher, if you are a preacher, God's called you, you preach. Sometimes the people's responses are going to break your heart. Sometimes the very people who should be supporting you are going to hurt you. It's going to feel sometimes like briars and thorns, like sitting on scorpions. It's going to sting. You're not going to be able to rest and relax if you preach the truth sometimes. But you preach. And I'm saying that to myself too. I need to be reminded because sometimes it's hard. You think people listen week after week and they agree with you and all of a sudden out of nowhere comes this response from somebody that blindsides you and you think, where have you been for the last few months acting like you agreed with everything I've been... This isn't new what I said today. Sometimes it's like scorpions. But you, man of God, preach. Then he says again, don't be afraid of their words. He says again, don't be dismayed by their looks. 
for their rebellious house. (laughs) And I say again, brothers and sisters, and especially preachers, don't measure your success as a preacher based on the audience response. There's one measure. There's only one thing I should be examining in my heart when I preach. Have I done my utmost to be faithful to what God gave me? Are there times that my voice is going to be a little more shrill or harsh than it maybe had to be? Sure. Are there times maybe I didn't have to raise my voice as loud? Sure. Are there times maybe I shouldn't have cried as much? Sure. Are there times maybe I should have been a little more hard? Maybe. But all I can do is say, Lord, did I do my best to, do, to, to, to proclaim what you gave me? And you just have to walk away from I mean, and that goes, it's not the same thing, but some of you sisters who the Lord burdens you to get up and testify, I know some of y'all, I've talked to some of y'all how you beat yourself up for sometimes weeks. I sounded so silly what I said. I sounded so dumb. Did you try to say what God put on your heart? Then move on. If I did that, I would never preach again. Because there's something. I usually go back, I listen to these messages, I cut out when I sneeze and cough, and and then put it online. And you know what? I've never preached a perfect sermon. But there's a lot of times I sit there and I say, Wow, God, you used me. Sometimes I see that. And then there's times I say, That's a horrible, it's a mess. But I did the best I could to God be the glory. See, I don't want y'all to think I am always have it together. I don't. It's not about the man. It's about the message. Have I done my utmost? This applies to everybody. Have I done my utmost to be faithful? God is so much more concerned with the faithfulness of your heart than the performance outcome. And then in 7 and 8, verse 7 and 8, we see again this phrase, and you. Again, this reminds me of Paul's words to Timothy, but you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. It doesn't matter what anybody else is doing. And I, I want to use this as an illustration. This, I'm not getting political. But by the way, when God burdens you to preach about something that happens to be going on in politics, do it. It's not off limits. You ever read about John being beheaded for preaching against the king's sins? Or half of the Old Testament or more is about people preaching against the ruler's actions. I agree we shouldn't be partisan. I shouldn't get up here and proclaim a party because they're not the Savior. Jesus is. But when something's on my heart, I'm going to say it. This applies to us, brothers and sisters, but you, not just to preaching. I need to preach what I need to preach no matter what y'all think about it, how you respond, whether you like it or not. doesn't mean I don't care. I want you to like it. I want you to be motivated. I want you to be happy. But that doesn't change whether I should preach the gospel. There's a chance that all of you could be wrong and I'm the only one saying the truth. That happens. That's what Ezekiel's situation was. Now, this doesn't just apply with preaching. It applies with how we should live our lives. God doesn't require us to get a consensus from everybody else about what we should do. He wants us, but you. You do what's right. And I've never seen this last few years with this virus going around. I know it's scary depending on who you listen to. And and I know people who've died from it. 30-year-olds. It's bad. To some people, and some people it's like the cold. We don't know. But our job is to do what God puts on our heart. Not to figure out with the governor or some other church or whoever. It's not about consensus or I consulted with everybody else. We need to find out what God says to you. And I'm not just talking about a virus. I'm talking about how you live your life. Young people, parents with young kids or people who are going to have kids, don't just do what everybody else does with their children. You do what God puts on your heart. I'm saying that to me and my wife. We have a young child. I don't want to just do the norm. I want to say, God, what will please you? Because what we've been doing, like Brother Allen said last week about a different topic, it hasn't been working. If it was working, there wouldn't be so much despair and brokenness and suicide in young people. 
I don't want that. I don't want to just give my child to the state and have them raise her and then say, what happened? You do what God wants you to do. Which means you have to figure out. Which means you've got to get on your knees in His presence. Which means you actually have to be able to hear His voice. And part of that is me being willing as your pastor to preach what he puts on my heart, whether it's comfortable or nice or not. You do what God's called you to. You speak my words to them. And then he tells him again, whether they hear or refuse to hear. When you read the rest of Ezekiel, you'll see why God reminded him and told him so many. They wanted him to get it. Again, the response is not anything to do with whether you've preached appropriately. Their response is on them. He says, they are a rebellious house. In other words, they're who they are. But let that have no effect whatsoever on who you are and how you preach. In other words, don't be like them. You be what I've called you to be. That applies to preachers. It applies to every one of us, though. You do what God leads you to do, whether it's accepted or not. Now, let's take just a few minutes, and I've, I've touched on some of this, but I want to, I need to uh, hit it in detail. We live in a, a religious environment that has influenced all of us and all of our churches, whether we realize it or not. It's something, I don't know what you would call it, maybe revivalism. We had real revival. The power of God, the Spirit of God moved. He changed things. He saved people. He built up ecclesias. And then there were some well-intentioned people that came along and tried to streamline it and make it a process you could copy. And that has shaped the whole religious scene that we have. And so what I would say with that is God is telling Ezekiel and we need to realize you need to be aware and and be cautious of any kind of seeker sensitive gospel. We need to preach a truth centered gospel. A lot of church plants I have buddies that do church plants and things and I, I wish the best for them if they're preaching enough truth to get people saved. But they do things like poll the neighborhoods and see what they want. What do you need? Do you want this or that? Would you rather have this or that? Would you rather have contemporary or traditional worship? Would you rather... None of that matters. What matters is the truth. Brothers and sisters, it doesn't matter what you like. It doesn't matter what I like. What matters is, am I preaching what God gave me? So we need to be careful about tailoring our message for the crowd that's listening. And I'm not talking to... Listen, you need to be aware of your audience. It's not going to do any good if nobody has ever... If you're talking to a person who's never even heard of God or the Bible, you may not need to open the Bible and start quoting chapter and verse. Maybe you just need to talk to them about who God is and how He's transformed your life. I'm not saying not to use intelligence and tact as the Lord works with you. What I'm saying is, we don't need to say, well, people don't like to hear about sin anymore, so we're just going to preach about how God can bless you. No, we need to preach what God burdens us with. And if you don't get the sin out of your life, you're going to have trouble being blessed. We need to be cautious of all these innovations that people come up with to try to help God out. God didn't give any of these things to Ezekiel and he didn't do any of them. His job was to be on his face and then get up once he was right with God, listen to the word of the Lord and go proclaim it to the people. We don't need these techniques like the sinner's prayer or counseling rooms or mass seeker sensitive movements. Have y'all seen this stuff? I don't know if y'all have gone to some of these places where they don't even want you to feel the least bit uncomfortable when you supposedly seek the Lord for salvation. I felt very uncomfortable the day the Lord saved me because He revealed my iniquity to me. He showed me that I had been in rebellion, that I had to repent of everything that I was, everything I had been, everything I thought. I had to get rid of all of it with His help. I didn't need somebody to say, every eye closed, every head bowed. 
Now, if you want to accept Christ, raise your hand. Nobody look. These things are bad. They're evil. God didn't give these kind of things. The Lord wants to deal with you. You better respond how Ezekiel did. (laughs) When God finally saved my soul, I say finally because I tried to figure out how to have it happen my own way for five years. The day he saved me, I was on my face in a puddle of tears. Literally. Now, I'm not saying you have to do that, but that's what it took for me, and everybody there saw it. You know, one of the things that kept me from being saved, I didn't want people to see me crying. I didn't want to break in front of people. There's a scripture that says, The wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all of his thoughts. Well, I didn't think of myself as a little kid, as a wicked person who wouldn't seek after God because of the hardness of my own face, but that's exactly what I was. God has to break you. And we don't need to be afraid to preach that. This applies in this not just to the gospel, but to parenting. Parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles. It's not your job to be that child's best friend. They don't need a buddy. They need somebody who loves them enough to tell them the truth and to model what it's like to live a life for God. Sometimes that means an older person saying, don't do that. Oh, don't do that. I've tried that path. It doesn't work. Not just buddy, buddy, whatever you want to be. You embrace your truth. I love you anyway. You love them anyway, but love them enough to tell them the truth. If your family's in error, pray for God to give you boldness and love to tell them. This matters. This part to me is one of the most beautiful of the whole passage. The Lord says to him, Open your mouth and eat what I give you. Remember what I said about how the Lord and everybody who tries to communicate has to use metaphors, analogies, these things. Well, he gave Ezekiel an experience where this seems to have actually happened. He says, open your mouth and eat what I give you. I'll say this to the preachers, remind myself and tell the congregation, this is what you should be looking for. When a preacher prepares to eat the gospel, preach the gospel, he should eat it first. His whole consideration should be to eat what God gives him. Take it in fully. Digest it. Don't produce a message from your own analysis or your own clever conclusions. Just eat what God gives you. Here's the thing, brothers and sisters, I don't know what you need. Every one of you have unique situation, unique personalities, unique life circumstances. There's no way I could custom tailor a message to help all of you. Even if I did know. All I can do during the week is pray and help, uh, beg that God will help me to just feed me what He wants me to pour out before you. That's what a preacher should do. We're not supposed to produce anything. In verse 9 and 10, we see, and this is significant, what God tells him to eat is a scroll with words on the front and on the back. You know what I see with this? There's no blank space. There's no room for Ezekiel to insert his own opinions and conclusions and suggestions. If you're going to preach, don't produce your message from anything of your own self. God feeds Ezekiel a scroll that's been filled up front and back with all of his words. And that's what we should eat. I remember when I was a younger preacher, I still feel young. I don't feel like a young preacher compared to used to. But there's people who've been preaching longer than I've been alive. So compared to them, I feel like a young preacher. But when I was younger... I'd say the first few years I preached, I didn't read anything from any commentary. I was afraid to. I saw how it messed up some of my peers. I saw how some of them got off on the weirdest tangents that weren't from God because they spent too much time in their study and not enough time living life. You know what I tried to do instead is tried to spend time with the Lord. Tried to spend time in the broken world and my own weakness. And then later I might see what a commentator thinks, but I don't agree with him most of the time anyway. We have to eat what God gives. 
what words were they? And I'm, I'm, uh, I'm nearing the end, so stay with me. He says, eat what I give you. It's a scroll with words all over it, front and back. The words are lamentation and mourning and woe. Yeah, I don't realize, most of you. Some of you who are preachers or married to preachers might have a little taste of it. Sometimes your pastor has to eat words of lamentation and mourning and woe during the week. And then, he's not going to come here and motivate you. He's supposed to preach that. He tells him in chapter 3, verse 1, Son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll and go and speak to the house of Israel. This to me is beautiful. This really is a, um, a predecessor to the Great Commission. This is from the heart of God. Basically the same thing he told his ecclesia. Eat whatever I give you. Go wherever I tell you. Speak whatever I give you. <laughs> That's the commission. Eat this scroll. Go and speak. What does Ezekiel say? Just matter-of-factly. So I opened my mouth, and he gave me the scroll to eat. Would we do that? How many times do we wrestle with the Lord? God, you don't really want to tell me that. I mean, that's so... What are the words he's eating? Lamentation, mourning, and woe. God says, eat it. He says, yes, sir. He does it. And here's the encouragement, brothers and sisters. It was like honey in his mouth. He says, feed your belly and fill your stomach. This, I had to look up. I said, why are there two words that, that we use synonymously? What is God saying? He's not only re-emphasizing it through repetition, but it's actually two different words. He says, feed your belly. This is like the seat of hunger, the seat of the mental faculties, the, the seat or the center of that thing that drives you. He's saying that that hunger inside, whatever you hunger for, you fill that up with the words I've given you. And then he says, fill your stomach. And this is the word for bowels. An example, the, the innermost parts. The word of God, if you're going to preach effectively, should fill not just your desire and your craving, but everything about you. Your innermost parts. Now, I'm not saying I always do that like I should, but that's the goal. And uh, this is not just a snack. This is a full spiritual meal. Eat whatever God gives you. Let it fill you completely. Let His words fill you up. And you won't have room for anything else, especially not any religious junk food. Not any of these techniques and strategies. Not any of these super smooth things that people teach you. That One of the things Baptists have been accused about, I'm talking about old-time Baptists like, like we try to practice, is why do you make it so hard to be saved? It's not that hard. Just accept Christ. Well, first off, show me that phrase in Scripture anywhere. Accept Christ. No, He has to accept us. You know what Scripture tells you to do? Repent. Strive to enter in at the straight gate. Earnestly contend. Wrestle with this until you're sure you have it. That's what Scripture teaches. And I want to mention this again. When God gives you revelation, Ezekiel says this, Then I ate it and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. When God gives you revelation, when you've been blessed to be in His presence, it's as sweet as honey. Regardless of the content of the revelation, just having been with Him, just communing with Him is the sweetest of blessings, even if you have to say something you don't want to say. It's such a blessing just to hear from God. He goes on and tells him, I could send you to other people who would listen and respond, but I'm sending you to the house of Israel who's not going to listen or respond. Say, uh, God, he, he didn't go to seminary. I mean, he didn't listen to the religious marketing classes. He didn't, he, he's not very good at this uh, compelling people. No. 
He says, I'm sending you where I want to send you, where I choose to send you, and it doesn't matter how they respond, Ezekiel. You just do what you're supposed to. He says, I've made your face as hard as their faces, your forehead as hard as their foreheads. Fear them not. I'll say this again as a reminder to myself, but also to any preachers. God did this for him to prepare him for the people he was going to, but we need to be careful that we don't try to harden our own foreheads. Don't make yourself tough. God can give you the toughness and the strength you need to withstand and endure. You don't have to do it to yourself. He did it to Ezekiel. He gave him the strength to match them. He says in verse 10 through 11, All of my words that I shall speak to you, you receive in your heart, hear with your ears, and go. Again, this is reminiscent of the Great Commission. God doesn't want us to just hear the truth and then sit there and be like, I don't know why nobody's coming. They're all just out there. They're not interested anymore. Somebody told me the other day, I think it's a good analogy, he said, where in Scripture are we ever told to command the wheat to come into the barn? He said, that's not what a harvest is. You're supposed to go out and get it. You hear me, congregation? That's your job. You're supposed to go out there and get the wheat. We're not supposed to sit in here and be mad at them because they didn't come. Most of those people driving by don't even know we're here. Let's make sure they know we're here. He tells them again, All of my words, receive your heart, hear with your ears, and go. Speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord. He tells them again whether they refuse to hear or hear. And then Ezekiel says, The Spirit of the Lord lifted me up, took me to the exiles by the Kibar Canal, and I sat overwhelmed among them for seven days. <laughs> this idea that you're just going to go do something God put on your heart, if it's heavy enough, you're going to have to soak it up for a while. The Lord gave him all this revelation and then transported him like teleportation to a new place, and then he just sat there for seven days. Because he was too overwhelmed to do anything. And then he concludes. And here's how I'll conclude. He says, I've set you as a watchman. If you don't deliver exactly what I've given you, I will hold you responsible. If you do deliver exactly what I give you, you will not be responsible, no matter how they may respond. So, brothers and sisters... That's why I try to preach like I do. I don't ever know if I'm going to have another chance. I heard one preacher say, I preach like a dying man preaching to dying men. That's the reality. And I try not to hurt your feelings, and I try not to offend you, and I try not to be too harsh. But I try harder not to displease God. Because I have to go home and see if I did what He wanted. And this is not about me. I'm saying this as an encouragement to the preachers and people who may be preachers later. Don't worry about any of that other stuff. Do what God calls you to. I didn't understand it at the time, but when the Lord called me and I preached from Ezekiel, the very first message, part of it was me um, fully realizing what I had submitted to. Do you realize what a weight it is to be responsible for people's souls? You don't unless you've been called to preach and entrusted with that. It's heavy. That's why I'd rather hurt your feelings than make you feel good and nothing change. And that's what we should crave and desire and demand in, in men of God. You tell me what the Lord said. I don't want anything else. That's what was on my heart. I want you and everybody else to know what it is. It's the most sacred, heaviest, best thing that could ever happen to you. Can't take it lightly. And so... I want you to pray for me, pray for other churches' pastors that week after week we will preach what God gives us regardless of how people respond, whether they hear or refuse to hear. It's in my heart. God burdened me a, 
years ago that there will come a time, Scripture talks about not a famine of food, but a famine of hearing the word of the Lord. We're there. People, they don't like truth. Pray for us to be bold. Not just bold among the people who like it, but bold. I love y'all, and I, whatever this message the Lord intended it to be, may it be that.